healthcare is broken, and the healthcare industry is not going to fix itself. Reconstructing Healthcare is a podcast series where we interview the rebel entrepreneurs working tirelessly to disrupt the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we break down everything that's wrong with the current healthcare system and provide you with a blueprint to create better results. Now, here's your host, Michael Maneri. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Denise Schiffman, founder and CEO of GroupWell, a data-driven online group therapy platform. Denise, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here, and thank you for having me on the podcast. You bet. I love having people on the podcast. All right, here's the game plan. So what we seek to do here on this show is challenge status quo thinking and educate our audience on non-traditional methods to either lower healthcare costs or improve value for employees and their dependents. Sound like something you'd like to help with? Absolutely. I think that's our objective and we're living it every day. Amen. Love it. All right. So to get us started, I'm going to read a brief bio about you. So the audience has a little bit of context about this person that they're listening to. And, uh, and then we will jump into the interview. Okay. So Denise Schiffman is the founder and CEO of GroupWell, data-driven online group therapy platform. Prior to GroupWell, Denise held multiple executive roles at tech startups and at a multi-billion dollar tech and healthcare companies, including GlaxoSmithKline. She created GroupWell after her personal struggles with chronic anxiety and panic attacks. After a therapist referred her to group therapy, she waded through a complex and discouraging process to try to find and join the right group. It became obvious to her that group therapy was a modality of care that was in great need of innovation. Throughout her career, Denise has led product and marketing for high-scale data center systems and software companies, which taught her a lot about how things break at scale. This background was a perfect fit for a transition to healthcare where companies are just now learning how to apply and scale technology, AI, and data to the treatment of patients. Denise is also the award-winning author of The Age of Engage, a 2008 business book on the transformation to digital products and marketing. Uh, She also enjoys family, friends, and loves to hike, travel, and just completed her first half marathon. So congratulations on that. That's an accomplishment right there. Absolutely. Thanks. All right. Anything else you'd you'd like to add about yourself? No, I think that's it. I think that's about everything anyone needs to know about me. (laughs) All right. So the digital behavioral health marketplace, it's pretty robust now. You've got vendors like Talkspace, Lyra, Ginger, um, among others, right? And and more companies seem to be emerging every day. So it's kind of a crowded space. And your work experience is largely in tech startups and marketing. And so, I mean... We kind of alluded to this in the bio, but give us a little more color on you know why you felt passionate about this enough to start a new company. It's a great question. I, I think it started because personally, it was important to me to create a mission-driven company as the next step in my career and in my life, rather than focus on another version of another tech product. I also came from a predominantly medical family and had been thinking about where there was an intersection between my tech background and healthcare. I didn't plan to found GroupWell. GroupWell found me. Hmm. When I first experienced chronic anxiety and panic attacks, it really felt like it came out of left field and I felt helpless. The more I tried to hide it from people, the worse it got. I was almost completely isolated. When I finally shared with a group of people what was going on with me, it broke the spell and I opened up my mind to getting help. And my therapist referred me to group. And what I found was that trying to find and join a group was not only frustrating, it was 
demoralizing and discouraging. And your therapist has no idea where to send you. It really is on you. It's kind of like if you get a prescription from your doctor and then you can't fill it because you can't find a pharmacy or a particular pharmacy that has that particular medication or or the only pharmacy you can find is a hundred miles away. I mean, it's really that awful. And I, I kept thinking it should be, it should be easy. And I think the other thing that struck me as I was seeing a therapist was that there was no data to show me how I was doing. Was I getting better? How long would I be in care? How did we decide what to work on? To me, data is the lifeblood of quality care. And And from there, you know, I continued to learn more and more about the efficacy and the impact of group therapy from renowned experts and from the research. And it just became more important to me to bring this solution to market. Group therapy treats both mental health and social health. And we don't talk enough about social health. Social health is our ability to have healthy, deeply connected relationships, adapt to different social situations, share empathy use our self-awareness to interact better with others, perceive our lives as full and connected with society. And and the other thing we don't really recognize is how critical social health is to our mental health and to our physical health. And all these things motivated me to bring a high quality, low cost, highly effective solution to market. I love it. And so you you mentioned a lot of things there. We're going to, we're going (laughs) to dive, dive into a lot of those, but let's kind of start at the macro level here. So we're two years past the start of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. If it feels like things are, are getting back to normal, you know, my company Alliant, we, we recently had for our Southwest employees, a conference in Vegas, and it was amazing to see some of my team members in person that I hadn't seen for, you know, two years. That said, you know, I recently heard an executive say that, that we've made it through and it's time to hop back into the pre-pandemic routines. And that statement, it caused, it caused me to just pause and wonder, you know, given the great resignation that's happening right now, I mean, did we really make it through unscathed or are we just in a different place now? And so I'd love to hear your perspective on this notion of making it through the pandemic and what you think the state of mental health is today among the workforce and what should employers be thinking about? It's such a good point, Michael. I think that what we're seeing, especially in the behavioral health space, is that things are getting worse, not better. And we're seeing impact on every different population of people. Today, there are definitely more health apps and access to online therapists and coaches than ever before. But it's all equal or equally accessible. Um, What employees get at a big tech company in Silicon Valley and what they get access to at a meat processing plant in Ohio are really quite different. We need to think about, you know, what mental health support are police officers getting, our nurses getting, our teachers getting? What happens with cancer survivors after treatment? You no longer have access to your oncologist. And most of your issues at that point are fear of reoccurrence, anxiety, pain, or hopelessness. How do we help them? How do we get them back to work and productive? Almost all mental health care today is individual care. So what's happening is I have a mental health condition. I don't want people to know, so I keep it to myself, making me feel even more isolated and alone with my problem. And when I decide to get care, my care is me alone with a self-help app, which I have to be highly motivated to use, 
mm-hmm. or me alone texting or talking to a therapist or coach. It, it's helpful, but the stigma is reinforced. What I call onlyness, the thinking I'm the only one with this process, with this problem is also reinforced. Another thing we need to think about is the way this sort of industry of mental health has changed through the pandemic, where the increased usage of texting therapists, where you text any time of the day and sometimes night and expect a response. And we need to think about how is that working towards our learning and our becoming self-reliant with our, our health, our mental health and our ability to change our own behaviors, it's just easier to continually ask somebody else sort of what to do. And so I still think there is enormous innovation that will come to mental health over the next um, several years. And to me, it was really looking at the landscape of all the, the care that is out there. It was really important to me, looking at what happened to all of us in the pandemic, to bring group therapy specifically to market to combine the treatment for mental health and social health. And we'll we'll talk more about what that means to include your social health. Um, But this is just really critical uh, modality of care that's sort of been like the Tuesday's child, (laughs) the secondary (laughs) modality to individual care. And everybody thinks first, I I want individual care. I want to see a therapist if they're ready to see a therapist. But then they find out, well, and this is really, you know, that they want other people, but there was this really um, interesting uh, research from Mental Health America where they screened 5 million people and those that screened have a mental, uh, mental illness, um, they asked them, what are your, what are the, what are you, the top things you need for this problem. And one of the top two was I need to connect with p- other people like me. Yeah. Yeah. And I really think that says it all today. Yeah. I mean, I, one of, one of my coworkers, um, that I was with at this conference the other day, her husband is, um, an undercover police officer. And we were talking about the issues with police and fire and the inability that just the trauma that happens Right. And and specifically what she was referring to, this may be too specific and into the weeds, but, you know, accidental misfire of the weapon. Right. And just the emotional destruction that happens to a person, to an officer that happens and and getting them, you know, maybe they get a couple sessions with somebody. But after that, nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So th- there, there, there's a segment of the workforce. And, and I guess I want to talk about more that how we slice up kind of the different you know groups here. but they're not getting the help they need for sure. Right. And I, I think what you're getting at is actually pretty common. So if you're you're seen by your primary care doctor and they can see that you're in crisis or having mental health challenges, they refer you to a, a therapist who may be at the hospital you're at uh, and you get basically two sessions, two or three sessions. If you're a student at a university, universities do the same type of triage They'll see you, but you only get two individual sessions uh, and then they send you off to go find other care. Universities are doing, have always offered group therapy and support groups, and they do a better job of trying to get you from that individual, which they can't afford to do for, for all of their students and get you into group therapy. But I think that there's a paradigm shift coming here where we start to think about these different modalities in mental health. And who needs what, when? 
And so, so group is not for crisis care, emergency care. Individual care is. It's the right place to go. But do you really need to be in care for five years, 10 years, 20 years? In most cases, we're not talking about uh, severe mental illness. That's 5% of the market. But we all know somebody who's still been seeing their therapist, you know, 10 or 15 years later. And the downside to that is they're usurping a needed resource. Right, right. Yeah. So let's kind of get into the differences, you know, between individual therapy, group therapy. And, and for some, you know, many people in our audience may not be educated on this topic. So why, why is group therapy sort of a relevant mode of treatment? So as I mentioned, group combines uh, the treatment of mental health and social health. And part of what happens to us when we have a mental illness or even a chronic illness with a, a comorbidity of anxiety or depression is that we tend to become more isolated, have a stronger perception of loneliness, which exacerbates our, both our mental health and physical condition. You know, so the triggers go in both directions. Your your mental health or your your poor social health can trigger mental health. Your poor physical health can trigger mental health or social health issues. So these three things are really your whole health and need to be looked at holistically. And so group really, um, it, it's not about giving individual uh, treatment to eight or ten people at the same time. It's about using that group dynamic for people to learn about the skills and behaviors they need, both for their mental health and for their social health. It's learning um, empathy, it's good listening skills, it's social intelligence, it's learning how important relationships are and solving conflict if you had that in your life. And so the combination of the two really help solve the overall issues that many of us face. And I think the pandemic, as you mentioned, two years in, we all became incredibly aware of how important our relationships are, how mm -hmm. detrimental it felt to be isolated, to not be out, even just seeing people, even walking into Starbucks and saying hello to the barista. Sure. So it was a real loss. And so it raised the awareness for everybody how, how much we need to work on our social health and how critical it is to our overall health. Now, you have to excuse my ignorance here, but I'm guessing in a group therapy envir environment, there is sharing of experiences, right? And is, is that an important component of it for somebody to hear that there's another person out there who's experiencing something similar and listen to how maybe that person's impact or how they're trying to deal with something. Is, is that a component of it? Uh, that's definitely a component of it. I think what you find is one, it's really important to know that there are other people just like you with the same challenges and that everybody's sort of in a different place. So you can sort of see yourself on a spectrum. You get lots of insights from other people and how they experience their illness or tips or tricks that they use. Uh, and it's that type of help. You receive support from people with the challenges you're talking about. You give support, which is also good for your, your mental health. Um, it's, it's really all of that pulled together. And it's also a very safe place to try out new skills, mm. to test new behaviors, uh, new ways 
of maybe talking to somebody else, or if you need to have, say, a hard conversation with your teenager, you can try out how you're going to do that in a really safe space. Uh, and I think that that's really helpful for us um, as we develop and grow as as people. Yeah, it was in, it's interesting. Maybe maybe this is analogous, or maybe it's not. You know, we were having lunch yesterday, a couple of us, and uh, you know, two of the the women at the table, their kids have uh, ADHD. And, you know, I'm in the process of, you know, getting my son tested for ADD and we actually have our call with our pediatrician on Friday morning, but, but it was helpful to listen and learn how like their family situations play out, how they react, comparing that to maybe how I react inappropriately sometimes to those situations. So anyway, it's very interesting. So let's get into the platform. Right. Describe the group well platform and and how it works for those members who are seeking, you know, mental health care or or support in some in some fashion. Absolutely. So we provide online group therapy to treat both mental health and social health. We deliver it as episodes of behavioral health care, also called interventions. The groups are eight, 12, or 20-week affinity groups. And we'll get to affinity in a minute. And we mostly target um, low to moderate acuity for anxiety, grief, depression, and other conditions. We also provide preventative care groups so that people can learn mental health and social health skills and behaviors to reduce the chance of a chronic episode in the future. And we also offer behavior change groups, such as weight management and nutrition or creating healthy relationships. And what we mean by affinity-oriented groups is basically finding people like me. And and that can mean people with your job, so police officers, nurses, or teachers. It can mean your current experience, you know, maybe being a parent of a child with substance use disorder. It could be your sexual orientation or gender, your ethnicity or your race. Um, And interestingly, uh, the affinity you relate to can change um, based on the challenge you're facing at the time. So it might be today, as you mentioned, it might be being a police officer and the trauma that comes um, with things that happen while you're a police officer. But you may be a police officer next year with a child addicted to drugs. And and then your affinity is really going to be to other parents facing that incredibly difficult life challenge. Right, right. And so we created these episodes of care as bundles to focus on outcomes and and recovery in that period of time, as opposed to how the mental health industry or the behavioral health industry has traditionally worked, where there's this perverse incentive to keep people in care without evidence for the need for continued to, you know, for the continued need of care, because most, almost 90% of uh, mental health care is not measured. Um, And that usurps a needed resource, uh, the therapist, and it's costly. Our therapists deliver evidence-based treatment in group. They're all Mm -hmm. trained in evidence-based treatments, and they're all trained in group. These are treatments that have been proven to help patients recover from mental health conditions. It's interesting that most therapists were not taught evidence-based treatment in school. So in the industry at large, most people don't use them. Uh, we're seeing an upsurge in CBT and cognitive behavioral therapy, but there are many other treatments that are highly effective. Yeah. And the, the other interesting thing is that most therapists aren't taught how to deliver group therapy well. So most don't do it well. And so we really screen for that experience and that quality. And then they all use our platform, which drives 
systematic measurement of patients. So both the provider and the patient learn about their progress. And then we use that data also to inform the care path at the end of group, at the end of all the sessions, we give our patients a a care path, a recommendation of what they should do next. And then one more thing I'd add about what we do is we think about people comprehensively. And so what you find in um, behavioral health today is that most telehealth and most um, providers are doing or assessing um, the minimally required assessments, a PHQ-9 for depression, a GAD-7 for anxiety. We take that and we go go beyond it. Um, We look at somatoform, their physical health, panic attacks, eating disorder, alcohol use, day-to-day functioning. So how do these affect your ability to go to work, to take care of your kids? Um, We look at their social health and their emotional health. And then we also look at how the group dynamic is working every week. So we do a very brief assessment after group to understand how people are doing in that group. So the provider gets all of this clinical decision support to help them adapt care to make sure they have very good retention, which leads to um, the best outcomes. Yeah. So let me repeat some of that. So. When it says you're you're screen you're you're trying to capture all this, is there a screening process at the front where you're able to capture you know all this information from somebody who's entering the platform? Yes, exactly. It's all automated. Everybody steps through the process, and in fact, we start very early on um, with an intake assessment that helps us under that's very specific to group. It's a custom assessment that's very specific to group and their readiness and their interpersonal skills. And then the rest of the assessments we step them through are clinically validated assessments that, you know, um, look at their condition. I assume the, the intake creates a baseline, right, from, from which you, you are going to measure, you know, throughout the duration of that, you know, course of treatment. Right. So we we do the assessments at, at the beginning at baseline and then uh, every four weeks for as long as they're in care at termination to see the outcomes. But we're continually measuring so that the therapist really has the ability to adapt care and provide the best possible highest quality care to that group as a whole and to each of those individuals. When you measure at this rate, you really are providing personalized care in the group setting because you know a lot about each of your individual patients. Yeah. I imagine the person who's leading the group knows, well, I've got, you know, a couple people who are progressing nicely, but I've got somebody who maybe isn't progressing as much as I'd like to see. And maybe that gives them the ability to you know, devote some specific questions or time to that person in the ther- in the session. Exactly. In the session or even outside of the session when needed. One of the assessments we do identifies the attributes that are predictive of how somebody is going to do a group. And so they can see if they have an outlier that isn't bonding while the rest of the group is bonding and we're seeing cohesion, that person really isn't bonding. And so the therapist may bring that up in group, may actually bring it up outside of group. Um, We have messaging on the platform so that they can uh, talk to each other. Uh, If they see someone deteriorating, you know, we send up alerts. They can see that so that they can reach out to that person and get them back on track or get them into another kind of care if that's what they need. And we are by far the only provider offering this solution in the industry today. Well, that's one of the reasons you're on this podcast because (laughs) you you are the only (laughs) provider that I've seen in the marketplace (laughs) doing this. So. Let's see here. I, I want to address the fact and, and reinforce for our listeners that 
this is not just clinical therapy. There's, there's a wellness component of this. And you made the decision to bring on certified coaches that may, may lead some of those affinity wellness groups. So just repeat again for the audience on why you decided to, to do that and give some examples of maybe some of those wellness affinity groups. Uh, Cause I think for me, that did put a different lens. You know, I, I think when we originally met and had a conversation, I was originally thinking about you as a mental health solution. But as we continue this conversation, I'm reminded there's more to it than just the, the mental health, the clinical, you know, um, depression, anxiety need of it. So talk a little bit more about that, that wellness perspective. Absolutely. And this was really important because we think of the spectrum of mental illness. We think of the, the spectrum of care and we wanted to be comprehensive and make sure people could find the groups that they were looking for. And in some cases, uh, you know, our coaches really focus on um, preventative wellness. And really that is just skilling up. It's, it's what a lot of us are doing today, but it's learning those skills and behaviors, whether that's mindfulness or meditation or reframing some of the, the more CBT informed skills um, that help us deal with, you know, the challenges that life throws at us. So we don't end up chronic. Um, and we do that in group because it acclimates people to the group environment and they start to see the value of being connected. And maybe that helps them in life reach out more and find groups because the whole point is to learn how to, to connect with people and build healthy relationships and then go out in the world yeah. and build those with your family, your friends and your colleagues. And so, so the, the coaching side is, is a lot about that and, and a lot about um, and in fact, what was really interesting, this sort of evolved, I had um, some, some dietitians and, and RNs reach out to me and say, hey, this is a perfect platform for what we do. We mm. support people for their weight management and weight management and nutrition and lifestyle has a big impact on how you feel about yourself and on your, your emotional and mental health. And, and, um, and that opened up you know, my mind and our team to say we should include that. That makes sense. It's a part of the whole person care that we want to provide. And so we have a lot of nutritionalists on the platform doing that type of work, whether that's meal planning for the week or the month so that people buy the right kind of foods and then use them all because most people really can't afford to waste you know, the fresh vegetables that they bought them. And even I, and I struggle with this and I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the stuff in the fridge going, what can I make with this tonight? And so they really help with that. So we eat better every single night rather than opening up a can of something because we couldn't figure out what to cook. And so right. I think it might not sound critical, but it really helps us. It helps us to stay physically healthier, which impacts our emotional um, and mental health. Yeah. No, well, I, I like the word that you used, which is, is learning, right? Um, and skill building. That makes a lot of sense. You know, one of the things that comes up with traditional access to behavioral health care is, you know, the time it takes to see somebody and to get in. So yeah. I'm a person who's been presented with GroupWell in my employee benefit plan. And, you know, I decide I want to engage at the point that I get onto the platform, do my intake, how long do I have to wait before joining a group? It's a really good question. And I'm going to reinforce that this is not crisis care. Group is not crisis care. It's not emergency care. It's really about 
you know, uh, outcomes, recovery, getting into remission. Yes. Uh, it's, it's really that type of care. So we start with our customers by really understanding their population and their priorities for that population so that when we set up groups, they're highly aligned to what's needed in that population. And then when someone registers, they get, um, we ask them for some information and, and then we give them recommended groups that are their best match to to their needs Mm -hmm. and they can request to join immediately. But one step in our process is that, uh, in our joining process is that they meet with the group therapist in advance. And this is best practice in group therapy. It's also really important. It starts the therapeutic alliance. It helps give the the um, patient, the employee comfort in joining a group. And it, it allows the therapist and the um, member to assess together, are they the right fit for this group? And that's a usually a 30 minute session. And then from there, they can join sessions. And that process, we expect it to be one to three weeks. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it's really fast and the group yeah. is about to start. But that's the purpose is, is to get you into a course of care where you come out much better off than when you started. Perfect. 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 You had mentioned earlier that there's a lot of research that confirms the efficacy of group uh, therapy. So give us a little perspective on what does the data say? What does the evidence say about you know, what group therapy is able to accomplish, you know, versus, you know, individual therapy. There are over 250 randomized clinical trials proving that evidence-based treatment and group therapy is as effective as individual care and more effective for some conditions like social anxiety. And group therapy has been used for over 70 years. I mean, there's actually 70 years of research proving out its efficacy. It's broadly used by the Veterans Administration, by hospitals, uh, by universities. It's also used in private practice. What's interesting to note is that it's um, primary treatment for severe mental illness inpatient and intensive outpatient. So it's the go to treatment. Uh, in those environments. And it's only been an outpatient that it became the secondary treatment. And so it is really interesting. I think that it's really well understood, even for um, schizophrenia and bipolar, how important your social health is to your your mental health. And so so all that work's been done. The, the research is there proving it's really effective. And once again, I think the p- pandemic just made us so aware of how important this modality of care really is. Yeah. Let's let's talk about your provider network on your platform for a second. So as you know, you know, more and more providers are opting out of, you know, EAP and and um, you know, major medical insurance networks because of the administration and the reimbursement, right? So how are you attracting and recruiting, you know, therapists and coaches to join your provider network? I think what's really interesting is we we talk, and I, even I talk about this uh, limited number of therapists. In reality, there's 700,000 licensed therapists in the U.S., and that's a big number, and they're poorly distributed, um, and in some cases, not effectively utilized or efficiently utilized, I should say. 
And the interesting thing is that the biggest group is social workers, licensed clinical social workers, and, yeah. and then there's clinical psychologists. And those two uh, populations of therapists are the most trained in group therapy. So there, there actually is a, a large a number of therapists that deliver group therapy out okay. there as a part of their role, the organization they're at, or as a part of their practice. And so we do have a, a large market to go after. And the other thing that we thought hard about when we put the, the system and the solution, the platform together was to pay differentially. So looking at how telehealth generally pay their providers, it's it's pretty low pay. Yeah. And most therapists don't want to work for that low pay and treat 10 people at the same time. So we we have differential pay. And, and most people who deliver group therapy know that it is a well-paid function because you're, you know, if you're in private practice, you're getting paid by 10 people that are in that group every single week if you're doing fee-for-service, which is the predominant way. Yeah. And in fact, it's mostly out of pocket. And I think that that's, that's not right either. We want this to be a covered benefit. I mean, that's really important in moving it forward. And so most of our, actually all of our therapists and coaches are 1099s. Mm-hmm. We have had really no challenges attracting therapists. Uh, and, and I think because of the way we pay and because of the, the model, we were only interested in therapists and coaches that want to be measured and that want to measure their patients and want to learn and get better at what they're doing and that, you know, are effective in delivering group. Has the technology platform been a selling point to the clinicians and the coaches? Oh, yeah, it's a great question. It's a great point. So absolutely. The, the, the hardest thing about delivering group is the complexity. It's, you know, trying to get a number of people coordinated and, you know, signed through all their consents and have the intake with them and then get them into the sessions all at the same time. Yeah. And and that's just too much work. So a lot of people who deliver group or deliver group during their training or some point in their careers don't tend to do it anymore because it's just too hard to pull it, pull it together. So it is very attractive to therapists to know that we're doing all that work for them, for them. Everything's automated. They just show up and do what they love, which is treating people. Yeah, I do. I think that's such an interesting angle, right? Because, you know, this is all about creating value, right? In the marketplace for, for the patient, for the employee, the dependent, but in this way, you've also kind of flipped it where you're trying to have a value proposition, right? For the clinician and the coach relative to what they would have to deal with, with a traditional EAP network or an insurance carrier network. Absolutely. Absolutely. We wanted to create engagement and value on both sides with our, our therapists and our coaches. So they feel really good about being on the platform and really enjoy it. And we also, you know, have created a provider community where they meet um, and talk about any challenges they're having. And in the same, have a really engaging, easy to use platform for our members, for our patients. Yeah. One of the things I think I meant to ask this earlier, so I'll jump back to it, reporting, right? An, An employer implements this and you know, how are they able to track, you know, how many of their employees are participating, what affinity groups people are being attracted to and participating in, and are there people making progress? You know, have you built that into the platform, the ability to report out to an employer like that? 
Yeah. In fact, we collect, obviously we collect all of that data and we share that back appropriately. So anonymized, yep. um, there have to be enough people from that employer so that you can't figure uh, out yes, who it true. is. That's true. So yeah. we do need, we do need some, some density there. Uh, but yes, we want people to know, we want the employers to know uh, how much utilization, what's being utilized, what do outcomes look like, um, what does engagement look like. So so absolutely, I think that's a, a big part of, of collecting data and sharing data, which is, you know, a big part of my, my focus. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about member engagement for a second. So, you know, I think communication is such a struggle for most employers, right? I mean, a lot of the benefits that they provide, you know, they get communicated once during the year at open enrollment and then em- employees forget about everything, right? And and look, I think especially a lot of the digital health and point solutions that are in the marketplace, they've gotten wise to this, right? And now they do a lot of proactive, you know, marketing to kind of drive mm-hmm. awareness and engagement. Mm-hmm. And so what is the group, the group well sort of game plan for you know engagement, right? Um, I actually think it's really important. I, I think that especially in the employer environment, they historically have used an EAP as the offering to employees. I've never used an EAP, and I've worked at several very large companies. And I think that that's the problem: is the the low utilization and, and just not knowing what's in the yeah. EAP for that yeah. matter. And I think that employers are getting more confident in communicating with their employees about their mental health and in any healthcare services. But this is, and I've talked to some very large employers who are now using this to lower stigma in mental health, Mm. to talk openly about services, to communicate with employees about what's available to them. And I think that's huge. Um, And in fact, one employer said, yeah, we're encouraging people to join groups on our platform and talk about their mental health with each other. I thought, okay, maybe maybe not going that far, Um, you know, sort of independently. But we uh, really believe in the model of, you know, more communication is better. There's no reason to offer a service unless you have utilization of that service. I mean, that's the whole point is to help people um, get healthy and stay healthy. And so we, you know, we'll insert ourselves in the company newsletters, we'll market directly uh, to employees through the appropriate channels, we'll do outreach beyond email, text, phone calls, answer questions and help people uh, adopt the the service, get comfortable with this type of service because this is innovative and it's new. Yep. Um, and then and then utilize it, and then market results back to employees so they know how did this work, what are people doing. Love it, love it. So let's see, we haven't talked about price. So what what is sort of the pricing model structure for you know the clinical and 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 the well for somebody to have access to both the clinical and the wellness groups. So we're a covered benefit by employers or health plans, and it's a bundled per group fee per participating member. So you have to participate, you have to utilize for the fee to occur, but we bundle up all the sessions and the care that we give that person holistically during that time period, that episode of care that we, we offer. And, and so that bundle will include the, the full detailed intake session, the group sessions, messaging with the therapist, any uh, interstitial individual support that might be needed if, if somebody's having um, challenges. 
Yeah. So that's great. I mean, it's, so it, it, it's really build like a claim. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, I guess the way to think about it is it's either an eight or 12 week or 20 week encounter. It, well, exactly. And it's, it's a highly predictable cost. Yes. So you don't really have to worry about, is this ongoing? Like, when will this end? How much am I actually paying for? And so um, it's really crystal clear uh, up front what the cost will be. Yeah. And I think that's easy for a self-insured employer to, I guess, budget, right? Because it's just like a claim, you know, exactly. um, you know, for, for fully insured, you know, groups. And, and this is where I think employers need to expand how they think about these types of benefits, you know, for a fully insured group, it's almost like, you know, an employer can create a budget for it, you know, estimate what, it, what the utilization is, create a budget for it, and literally just add that budget on top of the fully insured rate. Yes, you know? exactly. Exactly. It is that simple. Yeah. But that is as simple as that is. <laughs> sometimes I think it's hard for, you know, people that have fully insured products to kind of wrap their head heads around that. But I agree. I, I do think it's simple. You guys are still very much in, in startup mode, you know, Correct. L- looking to really, you know, get off the ground and, and start to scale. So w- what is the biggest obstacle to, in your mind, right. To getting employers, you know, on the platform and, and really beginning that process to scale the solution. So it's interesting. We're not running into too many obstacles. What I think the biggest obstacle is that, um, they've never seen anything like this before. It's innovative, <laughs> right? And so they're they're learning about it. Um, we find a lot of employers understand what group is, which is great. They have yeah. some experience, some understanding there. Um, and so that's very, very helpful. But the the common response is, I love it. I've never seen anything like it. Um, and you know, we move on to the next step. So we get a really, really good response. It's just that the time it takes for any new service to be adopted um, is really the challenge in healthcare. Nothing like high tech, I can tell you. <laughs> no, <laughs> it can be. Well, I, I think sometimes adopting new things can be slow because, you know, sometimes, um, you know, human resources departments, you know, whoever's overseeing benefits, they have limited resources and there's competing priorities, right? So, Right. And, and I think where, you know, we really hit the trifecta of what they're thinking about is we're really solving for access, cost and quality in mental yes. health care all at the same time. And our ROI is really good. I mean, there's this fantastic study from Cigna Evernorth showing a savings of more than $3,000 per person over two years when they are treated by a therapist in group or individual care. That's $3 million savings for every 1,000 patients. And with with our service, we can expect a three to one ROI. I mean, the the cost is so low. And so it's a a much better return than if you put that person in equivalent individual care. Yeah, makes sense. So what are you most excited about right now, you know, in the business, you know, any, any sort of improvements or enhancements or, you know, anything that just, you know, has you really pumped up? The thing that excites me the most is to bring the incredible healing power of group to the people who really need this type of care to have a real and lasting impact on people's lives. I mean, that's what I get up every morning to do. Uh, We continue to make the platform smarter and more engaging for our members. 
And I am really excited about some partnerships we're working on right now yes. to match our service up with yep. digital primary care, women's health care, chronic illness care. So more details on that in the future. But there's a, a lot of really exciting things happening today. Well, very, very good. And I, I now that you say, you know, talk about those types of partnerships, there's probably some folks I can connect you with, too. So if there was one question that I should have asked you, uh, but I didn't, what would it be? Well, I think we we covered a lot today. I, I, I think that there's one thing that I have been thinking a lot about, and we talked about data early on, and that's really what telehealth has been over the last 20 years, you know, getting access to on-demand care to rural populations. That's where it started 20 years ago. And really what telehealth 2.0 is, which is about the data. Uh, we talk a lot about, and I think you mentioned this early on, there's all these interventions in mental health and they're all discrete from each other, but that isn't actually the problem. What we really need is to integrate the data from each of these interven interventions into a really sophisticated care management system um, that, that integrates that data and shares it back to each intervention. So each intervention and providers are getting smarter and smarter, and we see a holistic view of that person and all of their challenges. And that'll make us so much better at yes. choosing the right evidence-based treatment at the right time for, for each individual. And I really think that's where we're, we're going and we need to continue to go. So I'm, I'm all about the data. Um, around uh, behavioral health. Very cool. Love it. So how can people interested in, in learning uh, more about GroupWell and the service get in touch with you? They can reach us at info at groupwell.net or through our website at www.groupwell.net. All right. Awesome. Well, Denise, on behalf of our listeners and myself, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Uh, been a wonderful discussion and, and hopefully uh, very insightful and informative for our listeners. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you, Michael. All right. And to our listeners, uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com, where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to GroupWell's website and contact information. Lastly, we're always looking for good companies to interview on the show. And if there's someone you think would be a great guest on this podcast, by all means, please shoot us a note. You can contact us on our webpage and we'll be sure to check them out. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.